Studio S M L. Welcome to the Studio SML podcast. In this series of candid conversations, we talk to some of the most established architects and designers in Singapore about how they got to where they are today. Hear about their personal journeys and the highs and lows of running a design practice in Singapore. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. In this episode, Marcus Choi interviews designer Larry Pei, founder of End Larry, a design studio based in Singapore, and owner designer of denim brand Faculty, designed in Singapore and made in Japan. And Larry is known for many branding works and also Royston Tan movie poster designs. Larry believes that design has the power to change things for the better and generally create a better world. Larry talks about his journey, his philosophy, and the struggles that come with starting your own design studio. How do you start out in design or what piqued your interest to pursue a career in design? I think I've said this many times, but it's uh, it basically Fabian Barron, the uh, art director of Harper's Bazaar. Yeah, that's how it all started because I was always into art in school. You know, I th- didn't know like design can be a career. Really do very really well well in school for art and everything. And then um, what happened is one of my good friend I went to his house, and he's got a lot of magazines lying around. I think his sister was an estuader, so uh, that's how he's got lots of magazine lying around the house. So I picked up amongst them the Harper's Bazaar, and I was like totally drawn to it. Like, wow, you know, how come this magazine looks so different from any other? Uh, you know, I didn't even know what's typography, uh, but the words look so beautiful, and the photography, the art direction. So that's how I kind of like, wow, I looked at the uh, credit contributors page and look for the name anything that says art or design or whatever and yeah and his name was there and back then it was hard to find out who he is and what he what else uh, Fabian does so it was kind of like um, going around going to a library because the friends around me are not totally not into all these things so yeah that's how I started to pursue a career in design and I found out like the Masik Polytechnic was probably the first place to uh, one and only place that I could enter to to go into this uh, design career. Yeah, yeah I, I see. I think uh, I think at the point of time, Tamasic Poly was the only poly that offered design, right? Hmm. Yeah. Correct. I mean, there's no university. There's no other. I mean, at LaSalle, I'm, I'm not sure if LaSalle was around. It should be yeah, and in Nafa, but um, those are more expensive. And I think mm. the Masik Polytechnic uh, is like my only choice. Okay, so um, where do you work or intern as your first ever job in design? Actually, my first job, I think, real job, uh, was designing a plastic bag for uh, this uh, plastic manufacturer. So they needed a cool plastic bag <laughs> to stand apart <laughs> from the competitors uh, to have this fish and somehow yu zhao, you know, Chinese words. And I say, if you want fish, maybe nian nian you yu, I'll just do a nice logo for you. So that was probably my first ever paid design job. And um, till today, I kind of, uh, I'm proud of it, but yet I'm ashamed of it because it's everywhere. If you see a plastic bag with a fish flipping left, right, and all this, there, it's actually designed by me. Is it the white plastic? Yeah, there's white, there's blue, depends on which manufacturer did it so it was uh you know the worst ip examples ever because you design it you cannot protect it and why would you protect it anyway and, uh, it's mass produced by any man- manufacturers as long as they get their hands on the graphic they will just you know print it so yeah it's one of those things that it's also it's everywhere but nobody cares who designed it <laughs> but every time I buy something from the convenience store, from mama store, from you know wet market, and when I see them handling over the my the plastic bag with the fish that I design, it always gives me this feeling of like oh my god, what have I oh. done? Or, but yeah, at the same time, it's like 
you know, see my design is still around. <laughs> oh, it's so, like a yeah. mixed feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, correct, correct. It's, yeah. So, um, and I interned in this uh, design place called Ling Image. Um, mm-hmm. They were at the crossroad of turning into, from a design studio into a printing production house, but I didn't know that when I uh, signed up for it. So I ended up being the guy behind the computer the printing stuff for people. So it was kind of disappointing. It was a harsh environment, but yet I learned a lot. Of course, uh, everywhere you go, it just turned into a strength uh, rather than a uh, pitch about it. So I had I had to do things like, oh, uh, we, we set up a new partition so that the printer can go here and there. Um, uh, can you paint the partition? So it's like, um, okay. So I ended up preparing people's files for printing cut and paste for people, you know, collect money, <laughs> paint the partitions. And occasionally I have some design jobs. Yeah. So that was when I'm happy. Like, wow, I get to do some design. So so was the plastic bag design job through your intern or was it, how did uh, you? No, no. Because uh, someone knew the manufacturer and then they just needed some, you know, cheap student intern. <laughs> but looking, looking back, the job wasn't really that cheap. Uh, it's not bad. I think it was... 400 bucks or 350 for a for a logo but not really for a company or anything so it's just mm. like we just say graphics so for a student at that time yeah like 95 or 96 95 i think yeah <laughs> so it's like wow okay cool that sounds like a lot of money for, yeah, yeah yeah after intern do you want to talk more about your first full-time job uh, my first full-time job after my army was with uh, Desi- uh, Design Asylum. Oh. Uh, everyone knows him, Chris Lee. Yeah. yeah. He started it, yeah. And he was a fantastic boss. Um, of course, there were dark times too when he's kind of like trying to get business for the office. He's never around. He's always out and about. So that's where, I mean, I had to learn everything myself mm-hmm. or with the peers around me my colleagues but again I learned a lot from the place like how to power layout how to do everything yourself uh, even the machine breaks down with some error printers cannot print so yeah, I was always hands on on everything and um, yeah uh, I learned a lot through my time with Chris and when he's not around like I said as well because uh, eventually um, when like for example the uh, there was an instance where my accounts director was uh, uh, sick, but the timeline is very crucial. I, we cannot wait anymore because progressively we need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Yeah. So I actually was very ballsy. I just called up the client and say, or rather, sorry, the client called up the studio and I said like, well, you know, they're all on MC or not around, but if you don't mind, I can come down and present to you. Oh. So the client was a big client and she said, yeah, cool. I mean, anyway, I only have time slot today or something. Yeah. So I just took a grab, uh, sorry, no grab back then. I took a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> I took a taxi down and I just presented and uh, yeah, I was very ballsy because I could have screwed it up, right? But I designed it, I went down and pre- presented it and the client was very, really impressed. And uh, she actually told Chris like, wow, you know, you've got a great designer who can design, can talk, can sell the work without anybody else. Yeah. So that's how I kind of realized that being a very, in, uh, more like an introvert, quiet, shy guy, you really need to be out there to sell your work. Uh, until today, it's still the same. I'm reluctant. I'm still reserved. I'm very, very private. Uh, don't really like to talk much. But those who are close to me know that actually, you know, I'm, I'm very open. I, I, I can talk a lot. So I think this is a duality to me. I'm I'm so good, so happy being alone. I love traveling alone. I like doing everything else my by myself. But yet, when you ask me to do a workshop with like fifty people, with uh, working with my colleagues, not a problem at all. I think, yeah, for me, I'm like kind of an introvert. So so there was once I think Kelly brought us down to do kind of a workshop for her students. Mm. Uh, I I couldn't do it. It's, <laughs> I yeah. cannot speak in front of people. Well, you, have, you just have to overcome it. I heard, I read that um, Steve Jobs probably is like like us or like me, same. You know, yeah. like people think he's an extrovert, but he's not. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing myself say, oh, I'm so great like him on stage. No, I'm just kind <laughs> of saying know. that. Um, uh, yeah, I used to think extroverts, it's so easy for them to go up the stage and just talk. Yeah, but uh, managed to overcome it. Moving on, what made you venture out to start your first studio, neighbor studio? It was kind of like, Design Asylum was a great place. Uh, I left after they got acquired by Minneapolis uh, agency. Uh, I mean, the parent company is Fallon. Sorry, uh, Fallon was an advertising agency, but Duffy Design became our parent. Um, so I told Chris, like, hey, I'm very bored. You know, they are throwing me all the stuff from US uh, and all the big clients, but they're very boring. And we're just, we're, we're no longer doing this sort of creative work, but it's always like, following the guidelines uh, for big brands. Uh, do not do this, do not do that. In the end, you're just like kind of walking around the guidelines. So he said like, uh, just be patient, you know, this is the beginning phase. But I was kind of itching to do something interesting. And um, back then a friend started a company and he was all alone, uh, dying, working alone. So I kind of like, uh, you got some freelance job I can help you. So it just started with freelance job, doing, 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 and then until like uh, one evening, I just thought like, hey, you know, since I'm very bored at work, why can't we do something together? And that's how it started. There was a moment where I sat down with him and we listed out like top 10 things to hit. So yeah, I, I listed the top 10 things and I think I believe a lot of it I hit on my ex-partner's list. In fact, all I believe. Uh, but my own list, yeah, I'm still at it today. Yeah. I mean, some of it can be trivial, like um, we want students to want to write in and interns to write in and say they want to work for us oh. because we were unknown, right? Nobody know us. Uh, and there were things like, what does it look like to have a million dollars in your bank account? Yeah, we hit it. Yeah. So that's, oh, that, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Back then it was like, wow, big deal. Yeah, so we have a lot of this, uh, some childish, some trivial. Uh, we want to get into DNAD, we want to at least be uh, awarded for one one show in New York. And yeah, yeah, and I remembered when I was in New York to receive the uh, one of the awards we, we got. It was a moment like, wow, you know, it's... Uh... Like you achieved one of your goals. And that wasn't mine, actually. Oh, I... that was... I don't care much about awards actually. Yeah, so that was your ex-partner's goal, is it? Yeah, uh, for me it was uh, what good can design do, for example. Uh, one day maybe rich enough we can do charity for work, you know. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing which, uh, yeah, like I said, still at it. So, um, after Neighbor Studio, was the process of starting again and creating and Larry a difficult one? Yeah, it was difficult because I after I left Neighbor, I think we were quite a comfortable team size of I think about eight or nine people. So mm -hmm. when I started and Larry again, I was all I I you know I became like one man show again. So a lot of things I don't have to do back then, and I realized I had to do like oh shit I don't have a Pantone chart. Oh what are the rates for newspaper ads? Oh my mm -hmm. god no, I gotta figure out half page ad, full page. Oh what's the dimension? Yeah like. Shit, I don't have this, I don't have that. So I had to call up friends for help. What's this, what's that? How do I get this, how do I get that? And um, and I don't have a studio, so I worked from home. Yeah, I was like pioneer from, of working from home. <laughs> <laughs> so it was tough. People looked down on you because you don't have an office. And um, yeah. and a lot of the old clients, uh, I, I left them alone. I didn't take them with me. So it was, it was hard trying to uh, make a name for yourself all over again. Yeah, I could. I can imagine. Even fast forward till today was not today. Uh, shit, how many years ago? I can't remember. But, uh, when we had like the business was doing quite well, and I had some hard cash in me, right, for the company, mm -hmm. and that was when I decided that I want to buy my own office space. So you can imagine, like I, you know, I dropped a lot of cash for the upfront payment of our current office, and that made me hungry again because it's like. You know, if you've got a money lying around, then you probably get more chill. I, I re recall this episode when I forced myself, I kicked myself out of my house, and I said, I don't want to work. I don't want to work from home again, because it's making me lazy. So I gotta, I gotta fulfill my rental 
my my you know I paying for my rent um, everything else so I actually rented a place at uh, uh, Southbridge Road and that was where I met a very wonderful landlord and she helped me the, the it's very strange that from day one when she saw me she asked one question why do you need such a big space for yourself then I told her my story I want to start out force myself to work you know then she mm. said oh, she was so moved by it she said I'm going to charge you really ro- low rent. And when you're ready, you, I can up your rent. I said, yeah, okay. That, that's yeah. so nice of her. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, like in Chinese, they, they call Gui Ren, uh, your benefactors. Uh, throughout my life, I have so many of them. And they, uh, some, have, some are gone. Uh, but every time I walk past the area, I'll think about them, for example. Uh, what were the first few projects like when N. Larry first started? Oh, uh, well, it was, uh, well, I, I will never forget my first project. It was a nightmare client from, uh, from UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, very strange, you know, it's like without social media, without everything, I don't know how she found me <laughs> and she just, you know, I don't, I don't even remember I have a website. So yeah, she found me, sent me an email saying, oh, somebody recommended me. I want to start a yoga where... Wow, very pro- yeah, yeah, very progressive right back then. That was like 2003 or four. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Through, yeah, so I was like, wow, cool. My first client from England, wow, big deal. <laughs> so yeah, I, I put in my very best. I tried to do it, but uh, it was a nightmare job, a nightmare client because she almost rejected everything I put out. And uh, yeah, so back then we even had to use fax, I, I still remember. Like, can you fax it across to me? I can see clearer, bigger, whatever. Yeah, and, and she, uh, my last draw was when she said like, oh, I, I totally dislike all the fonts that you proposed. Can you use this font? And it was Chicago from the system before. I was like, oh, I, I cannot do this anymore. Please, just, <laughs> you know, uh, not, you don't have to pay me. I'll just take the deposit and that's it. So in the end, I still delivered the design in Chicago typeface mm-hmm. because she was kind of upset and, you know, it was like, because you, you're not getting, you're not hitting the target. That's why I'm doing this and blah, blah, blah. And it just, yeah, I just delivered and took the money. And that, that became like a real eye-opener for me. It was like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, I had people working with me, so many of so many people I left this job and now I'm all alone and I'm getting screwed by a client mm. I'm forced to use a typeface that even I can't live with it and I cannot walk away from it because I need the money mm-hmm. yeah so that was uh, painful really painful so so after that I was really worse you know I was worse I was at home um, you know I, I kind of walked away from this bad job and mm-hmm. well hoping the next one can come. Don't really know how to advertise for myself. Um, and and that was when Royston called me. He was, uh, till today, like I say, he, he's uh, my good friend and my uh, benefactor, my unren. He called me and said, uh, I'm, you know, I'm doing this film, 4.30, and in, in it's going to open in Berlin. I need help to design the logo, the mask head, whatever you call it, title sequence, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And I said, okay, I'll do it. But please pay me because I can't do it for free. And he asked me how much I wanted and I just quoted a very small amount for a friend. Because uh-huh. I say, I, one of my, we shouldn't be doing free work, you know, for anybody. Even over the years, we've done a lot of charity work, but it wasn't free in a sense because um, we were paid with food, um, you know, with drinks, with mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so that became my, uh, how I got up with my own shadows because when he showed me an email from the, um, the German folks and um, I can't remember who else, but they were all commenting how beautiful the poster, the design, the everything was. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that he told me the posters we designed got smashed and stolen from the light boxes and <laughs> bus stop ads and so. Of course, I mean he was the rock star, not me. Yeah, um, but 
you help with the design yeah, and everything. Yeah, so it, in a way, it's like, yeah, but we're all part of the team and I made it beautiful that people want to do this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's a kind of like you, you tell yourself what you want to tell yourself. Yeah, so, right. yeah, I mean, I just kind of put Royston below and say, yeah, you know, I know you're rock star, but you know, my design is better. Ha ha ha. So, <laughs> and I got out of my shadows and and I remembered that um, the next client was, uh, I wouldn't name them, but they yeah. kind of like um, said they wanted someone who can do work that looks like neighbor studio. So, of course, that made me... Uh, upset as well it's like oh mm. so you come to me because i'm second best the the pr agency knew that i was from neighbor so they said give it a try you know it's like the money is not bad i say okay okay i'll do it so mm. that was uh yeah i mean when when uh, i finished the project and the client we we had a lunch together and they made a, a casual remark that you know your work is like neighbor studio mm-hmm. but I think it's beyond it. Oh. I was like, wow, you know, that was the another pat on the back. So it was these two projects I remembered vividly that got me out of the depression. Okay, so um so uh, at N Larry, do you have any active form of business development or how do you grow your clientele? Uh, like like I said earlier, um mm-hmm. Despite with all the social media and all this stuff, like I, mm. I, I'm not really interested in growing business that way. And I had this very mm-hmm. stubborn and naive thinking back then. And I once told my team, like, if you're good, people will know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so that naive <laughs> thinking uh, lasted till today, uh, where we say no to free pitches. We don't. If we say if we see this, hear this, like five way pitch or how many pitch, we're not interested. <sighs> Uh, so some people say we're snobbish but I like to stress that it's not because we're a small team mm-hmm. um, I, I treasure the paying clients very much because when they come mm-hmm. they say oh, you don't need to pitch we like you we want to work with you we've seen your works mm-hmm. yeah please discuss the budget and let's work together so these people who come knocking on our door who came knocking on our door we yeah we, we treasure them so that's why we do our best for all these clients and mm. we have no space to do any other that want us to pitch for mm. free yeah so uh, as a designer do you think it's important for a designer to have a distinct style such as david carson how to put it yes and no if i i would say a distinct something that shows everyone who you really are so mm. in this case for us, we don't really have a distinctive style like David Carson, for example. Mm-hmm. But we have a distinctive voice. Okay. So that voice, uh, I mean, maybe it's not the right word, but yeah, we're not singer. But that voice comes across from the way we write the copy, the way we choose what to put out there, um, the way the, that feeling you get out of it. Mm-hmm. So I feel that is definitely important. Otherwise you are replaceable, right? It's almost like yeah. on a rainy day, I would like to listen to, you know, a song by Billie Eilish. It, it, or slash who and who and who and who and who and who. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see? Oh, so, yeah, there are certain moments in your life where you're happy, you want to hear a certain song, or you want to look at a certain thing, or you want to pop open this sake or champagne or whatever. It, it's, you know, like, why that brand? Why that? champagne why that sake why this song mm. i feel uh it doesn't have to be visual mm-hmm. yeah uh, it can be in many other forms so i think you sort of need to have a voice more like more than a distinctive style so tie, uh talking about having a distinctive voice right mm. so does does it tie back to your design philosophy of like or were you... No, it's not a design philosophy. It's just one of those um, prerequisite, you know. Oh, okay, I, feel. I see. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like even if you pick apples, like, oh, this Fuji apple <laughs> looks like this. It tastes yeah. like this or smells like that, right? But uh, uh, yeah. for design philosophy, I have 
oh, I never really think much about it, but it's always for the people. You know, we're in the business mm -hmm. of people. So um, that's where a lot of things should stem from. You know, it should, mm. you should be born out of it. Don't yeah. do it just for yourself. Don't do it for selfish reasons. Yeah, okay. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, okay. And, and one of the things, like, why we call ourselves and Larry, in the, uh, uh, we just designed a new logo where I drop A-R-R-Y, and it's just N-L now. Mm -hmm. It's, again, that big philosophy behind it was that um, I believe good things, good design should fade into the background. It should disappear. So a lot of things that we do are always in the background. Mm. And that I feel um, transcends everything and it goes into everything that we do. In 2016, you won the President's Design Award for the rebranding of Bind Artisan. What do you think are the key ingredients to make a successful branding project? I think the most important thing is, um, the I would say honesty and integrity, uh, both sides. So from the client side and us, um, we are able to do a good job because they were they were really honest about why they want to do this. And they have a genuine cause. You know, we didn't know that, they didn't know it until we um, <clears throat> went on this journey with them. And we discovered that um, they, the people behind the brand, is they are very important. You know, like the old craftsman, Mm -hmm. that we need the uh, founder one of the co-founders um, grew up with she wanted to kind of pay tribute to them she wanted them to have a job she wanted them to pass down what they know so that became the uh, genesis for how the brand uh, the brand essence or tagline uh, something is worth sharing mm. yeah so I still remember she asked me what's worth sharing I said you decide what is worth sharing? And if that question is asked to Mr. Chong, the, the chief craftsman, he will have something else to share. And what is worth sharing? It must touch the heart, right? Yeah. So if it's a skill, well, that's worth sharing. That's why you have workshops, right? If it's um, an old item that had, that is handed down by someone that is very meaningful to a, to a customer, they can bring it back to you and say, I want to fix this. I want to... I want you to share with me how you can fix this. Like an old book or an old Bible, for example, that is meaningful to someone. So those these little things uh, kind of like became the backbone of the brand. So when, um, when they work with people, like collaboration with people, that's where like, hey, let's share what we can do together. So this uh, is multifaceted in that sense. Was there, was there a project or like a few projects you felt propelled and Larry to his current reputation in the industry? Wow. Um, I think in the local SME scene, mm -hmm. Bind Artisan really helped us a lot because mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of brands saw the synergy between or similarities between the brands. Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, second generation, uh, trying to make a name for themselves or dying craft or you know trying to be relevant mm. again so that one brought us quite a bit of other uh, similar clients such mm. as um, such as direct funeral for example mm. where yeah. when we realized a lot of brands that came to us understood what we do what we do and they saw something and felt something different and that's what we call today, uh, after 16 years of in the, in the industry, we we codify it and we call it sole purpose. Mm. So yeah, that's one of those things where it's not enough to have a purpose. You got to have soul in what you do. Mm. And it's very hard to quantify and codify it. So we kind of figure out a way to help uh, our clients and ourselves uh, get clarity. Okay. You know, it's almost like when you hear someone sing or you hear someone play a song, or you mm -hmm. see an image on a page and you just go like, wow, it almost move you to tears or that feeling. Yeah, that, that is, you know, beyond just playing well, beyond just looking yeah. good. Okay, so you're also a man with many interests. So you founded 
a menswear label called faculty was it an experiment to create a brand from scratch or was it something you always wanted to do uh that's very interesting i i still love the brand a lot um um yeah i think one of the question was whether it was still running it, it's kind of in a hiatus for a long time time mm-hmm. mm, because when it was started it was started by three three of us yeah. unfortunately the other two business partners so they kind of like uh moved out of it and say let's you know put a stop to it mm-hmm. and for me i it was very naive uh, again i always start everything very naive <laughs> with, with naivety and i just wanted to do something that i've always wanted to do and I'm, I'm a big fan of denim and my wife once uh, kind of scolded me like oh you know your whole wardrobe is filled it, it, you know it's like a you'll be crashed by your own denim and i realized that yeah, yeah. shit i got more than 100 pairs of jeans but that there was something in there because i thought like hey this could be that my favorite pair and it, mm. no and i moved on to another pair another pair and I, I never figured out why until the day i took everything out i looked at it and said, I, I know why because they're all not designed by me so i just wanted to design my favorite pair of jeans mm-hmm. so then i started on this journey and it, it was a kind of uh, one thing led to another you know i called oh. someone who knows who and where to get it done and i went to okoyama and i was like so in love with the place and the people and that was like where uh, the best japanese denim were made so i managed to convince the local guys to bring me around to uh, make for me mm-hmm. uh, despite having like so such a small order you know the factory that made my denim are the ones who made for like big brands Ooh. you know they made like double taps neighborhood you name them so and and this dude from not from the industry how dare this guy come here and tell us what to do you know so i was there telling them i want like this i want like that it has to be this it has to be that but in the end um the translator told me that i i gained their respect because i even though i'm not a designer or a big Mm. brand but i knew exactly what i was going for and they were kind of like wow you know this guy at first because of translation because of the way i come across right uh, i i cut to the chase you know i know i just go in and say i gotta do this i want to do this and then if you cannot do get it right um can i go down and show your craftsman how to do it or what i want so at first they were apprehensive but in the end they allowed me and then was where the magic happened you know like uh, you know you, you scratch like this you burn like this and then you do this do that and the paint splatter must be grey and black and this shade of grey and this shade of black that is a bit translucent. Yeah, it was like I did this to my denim. So yeah, I've, I've created the, my favourite pair of jeans and that's it. I just wanted to do that. <laughs> um, and the, yeah, the jeans were sold out. Yeah, oh. the, the first season was sold out. Then that was where I think uh, we did, we, we started a mistake of like, wow, you know, our t-shirts we made like 500 t-shirts and it sold out. Wow. Mm. Wow. Big deal. And I kind of told my, uh, the other partner, like, you know, this, this is it. We just have enough money to make the next collection. Mm. Even though, frankly, it doesn't make sense because making things in Japan is so expensive. The cost price is mm. so high. You know, for example, we have to sell the denim for 600 $700. That's because maybe the cost price of the jeans is like $400, $300. Oh. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Because of all the damage and the handwork and everything, right? Mm. So like $400, you, you sell at $600. You haven't even like, assuming, I mean, because none of us took salary from it, right? Imagine you're going to pay this and pay that and in the end you're dead. Yeah, so that's yeah. kind of how it uh, started and on the hiatus because um, the business model is wrong to begin with. Mm. It just started with this desire to make something. And I think uh, one of my partners, Lin, her name is Lin, why she came on board? Mm. Because she was doing, uh, helping big brands churn out big things. You mm. know, she's uh, she has a factory in China. She makes like millions of things, 500,000 quantity. Oh. So. I think this was a way of like sanity for her. <laughs> Handmade, uh, 200 pieces, 500 pieces. Okay, wow. You know, 
I want to get my sanity back. So we, we all kind of stupidly, uh, naively, I'm oh, sorry, better word, <laughs> got into this uh, thinking that, wow, you know, we could have some outlet for some creative expression. Uh, yeah. So uh, we actually wanted to kickstart, I actually wanted to kickstart the collection again. It was right before COVID hits. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we've actually designed everything and we've already made samples and they're beautiful. Mm. But... Uh, the plan all got screwed because um, yeah the reason was that I've always been worried about you know mass manufacturing causing harm to the environment Mm. so making small quantity and selling out is one my way of of experimenting with this fact that if you do something well it can last you a lifetime Mm. so don't throw away you know don't have to make more Uh, Mm. so my latest collection was really hardcore because I, I imported all the expensive fabric from England. Mm-hmm. And we make the sample, uh, so they're all supposed to be made to order. Oh, okay. and we wanted to do this traveling show around the world, where mm-hmm. you can touch and feel and try on the clothes. And if you want to purchase it, then that's where we buy the fabric and make it. But you can mm-hmm. imagine why it was uh, totally screwed because. Yeah, you know, no touching, <laughs> social distancing, <laughs> traveling, no. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Till now, <laughs> we we can't see a start to this, so I don't know yeah, what to do yet. Yeah, it's going to be a while. The pandemic and all. Yeah, but the good thing is, uh, this remains like a hobby. So, uh, yeah. and we yeah. it's it's nice that even we do nothing online. We got so little followers. We we literally do nothing, but we've got people from all over the world writing in or ordering mm-hmm. yeah it's just kind of like I almost wanted to ask all of them how do you find out about us so, you know, <laughs> someone just buy a cup from us buy jeans from me so yeah or a friend asking another friend say hey you know I heard you you did this I want to buy so so we're just um, yeah selling what we have slowly <laughs> without doing anything <laughs> yeah if you're gonna start a business like that please don't do it <laughs> oh. <laughs> so okay so uh, running faculty and, and Larry right how different is running the two businesses one is a hobby like I said where I um, don't have mouths to feed I have my own yeah. office here where you know my neighbor says uh, I mean my, no, sorry my, my partner said it was a good idea to just store the goods here <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you know so in a way one is a hobby I don't have to take it so stressful, mm-hmm. you know, so seriously uh-huh. in that sense. But yeah. uh, and Larry is a business where I have a team to feed and goes to meet. So mm-hmm. that's where I think the biggest difference lies. So you are also one of the founding members of the Design Society, right? How did the idea of Design Society came about? Uh, again, uh, one of the very naive ideas just got out of hand. So sure. I, I can't remember, maybe it was with Chris that we just spoke about this idea of like, you know, New York has MoMA, you know, why can't we have our own museum of modern design, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 we should. Damn it, we should. <laughs> so it was uh, as naive, as stupid, as silly as it sounds like that. And we said, yeah, we, you know, since we have uh, some connections, uh, probably we can start this non-profit thing and people all come in and join us and do this it will grow right yeah, yeah you know let's do it man and we just spiral out of control we just you know got a secretariat we we applied for uh what do you call that uh, non-profit uh, tax rebate wow it was really good and we we've got legal help from someone who's like really touched by us and gave us a you know freebie advice and draft up all the necessary documents yeah, and then after that, we just realized that um, not everybody wants to join your course. And we became like, uh, uh, well, a lot of people say we did well, we did the right thing, but also we started to get hate, hate groups coming, you know, like a bunch <laughs> of, uh, who do you think you are, Avengers, is it? Like, you know, oh. uh, yeah the hell then we asked for people to contribute then the same old people contributed mm. because these were the people who believed or agree with what we're doing 
yeah so so it's uh, it was uh, again a lot of learning curve learning experience and you know guess what who became the uh, head of PR it was me okay. one of the most shy don't really know PR oh. person but I did a pretty good job I, I mean I, I had to do interviews with Channel News Asia with magazine newspaper and I had to keep a lot of photos and videos and I yeah I learned a lot from it but one thing I really appreciate out of this whole exercise or crazy ideas was that um, we got closer, a lot of us, the, the mm. founding members. I remember every time when we meet for our meetings, it was nothing but jokes and laughter and managed to get things done. Moving back to Anne Larry, mm. so were you want to expand Anne Larry to a bigger team? Uh, I tried actually. Mm-hmm. I experimented with many different models. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was one point I think I grew about eight or nine, I can't remember. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of freaked out and I stopped because I realized uh, the company was not ready. And I mm-hmm. became like the doctor to 10 patients internally and many others, like clients and, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was overstretched and I, uh, I couldn't make enough money as well because you kind of like, oh, so many mouths to feed. Uh, mm-hmm. this project take la take la and uh, that made a big hole in the soul of the company oh. we become a bit you know like in a game your energy bar just keeps going down and in the end after you run for so many kilometers and miles then you don't really have enough weapons and tools so it's like what's going on you know yeah okay so um you're running a multidisciplinary studio, right? Do you struggle with looking for talents with a broad skill set? Or what do you look for when you're hiring new designers? We, we look out for people who are... I mean, I hate that word multidisciplinary, but... Who kind of likes to get their hands uh, on everything. Hmm. You know, it's like if you come in and say, "I, I, well, we are. I'm an illustrator. I love to design and illustrate." Then straight away, that's kind of like not what we're looking for. Who we're looking mm. for, right? So yeah, I'm not saying you you should come across as like we know. I know everything, but not master of none. But it's almost like we how can you? Try. Oh. Yeah, like if you if you look at the portfolio itself without even calling the person in or mm-hmm. over Zoom for interview, you, you should be able to see a multifaceted person. Mm. Like, uh, well, I mean, I look at my photography, look at my design, look at how I look at things, either from a UI UX point of view. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, we're, we're, I'm not looking directly into all these terminologies like oh, UI UX, how many percent? You know, yeah. Because to me, these are all skill sets and tool sets that can be taught you know there's a lot of uh, skills future program you can go into it it's not a problem but mm. over the years for myself and even the team members I, i've seen that relentless you know that hunger to say we need to get this done i remember chris in the asylum he got this job that requires a cd-rom design with multimedia skill set and he dumped it on my lap and said larry i trust you you can handle this I was like, oh my god, I don't even know how to launch director, you know, Adobe director, like, oh, oh, oh my god, don't worry, uh, I have freelancers to help you. Yeah. Oh. So I, eventually I put together a team that can help me and I completed the project and the client was happy. Mm. And I learned a lot, like, wow, I still don't know how to use director, but I figure out how the program works. And yeah, I mean, it's the same when we, we got this project from the German embassy. To do mm-hmm. a film, a short film to actually, the film idea came from us. Um, yeah, we wanted to do a short film to commemorate the fall of the Berlin Wall, and how is this similar to Singapore? So I came up with this idea of like let's do a video where uh, imagine we we do a Skype with uh, a director from Berlin, and we tell them what we want, and then we bring someone here in Singapore to film something, and he, and he from Germany to film something and then we try to put it together mm. and little did we know that this 
again was a prerequisite to what we are experiencing now you know mm. I mean not prerequisite uh, was, a, was a teaser to what we are doing now yeah yeah okay. so it's kind of interesting so uh, again we don't really know how to put it together um, we don't really know how to kind of do the kinetic typography after mm-hmm. effects I mean one of my designer young designers she's kind of equipped but not 100% Mm-hmm. So we Google, she Google, we try this, try that, and then eventually, um, Felix from Anonymous Studio was nice enough to say, "Oh, you want to show your stuff in my design film festival? Uh, you can do it." Mm. And we struggle to even create a format that is playable on the big screen. Uh, we had to Google, we had to call for help, and but eventually we did it. So that's that's what I mean. You know, it's mm. today, today you call it this, tomorrow you call it that. Like, oh, are you equipped with UI, UX experience or design thinking? Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, I mean, to us, it doesn't matter. So from when you first started and till now in 2021, how has your approach to design changed? I mean, one thing remained the same was the fact that I wanted to use design to do good. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a cliche now, but it, it was... Uh, it was there right or right from the start, but mm. but the definition of that has changed. When in the mm. beginning to do good, it was kind of straightforward and naive. Like, mm. I need to sell this product. I need to help the client look good. I need to make sure uh, this exhibition has people coming in and say it's great. I need to have uh, you know hit certain milestones or KPI. So, uh, the one thing to do good has slowly evolve to what's clearer and more accurate in the sense that we could actually use design to help the people around us to help the society at large to even consider the environment yeah so that doing good remained but the definition mm. changed mm. or rather okay. the medium itself the the, the 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 guns have been positioned in the right direction now uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay. Uh, just one example where mm-hmm. we're working with one of the companies where they, they you know start up really well mm-hmm. um, but they've never really considered much about green finance but we could see that what they're doing right uh, will attract investors of the right kind and indirectly mm-hmm. will cause them to rethink about how they're doing certain things which manufacturers they are they using what kind of good can they do uh, you know, uh, again, like they are into the art of selling things, whether it's NFTs or uh, physical, right? Mm-hmm. But we actually influence them to or give them our perspective of like, if you make something well, it can last a long time. That's kind of doing a, you're, uh, doing good for the environment too, mm-hmm. you know, rather than keep trying to sell, keep trying to, like if there's a way you can take back your old stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about recycling? How about designing a new stuff with some of your recycled parts and um, you're get, constantly getting investors with you know we're also helping them try to do their pitch deck like again like I say the green finance bit where mm. uh, the companies who are actively seeking out partners who are you know doing their bit mm-hmm. sustainable uh, future circular economy so this sort of thing um, I feel like it's no longer buzzword and as designers you you can't just sit on the fence or sit on the other side and say yeah you know it's meant for bigger boys mm. so we actually put it into our uh, proposal we actually put it into one of the strategy for them to say this is something you should look into you should slowly move yourself towards uh, like a short-term mid-term or long-term plan so in that sense we're using our design skill set Mm-hmm. to influence good to create something more than ourselves okay so um, how much do you think the industry has evolved and what do you think the general attitude towards design is currently I definitely think the design industry has evolved quite a lot um, mm-hmm. back then I, I and I think this sort of changes has happened to every industry mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know the, the days when you know how to do it because you're a designer. Has yeah. it's long gone, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I just shared recently in one of the talks that uh, some things I have to ask my daughter, you know, thirteen year old daughter to to ask her like, you know, I've been looking at this kind of thing. Do you know how they do it? Or sometimes we will have um, we'll be drinking this uh, new milk tea or whatever, and I'll be commenting uh-huh. on the design. I say, hey, how come? Why, why do you think the sticker is so small and odd shape, and then the illustration is even smaller than the sticker by like so much? Uh-huh. Like, well, why don't they make it bigger, like more real estate and all this? And she, mm-hmm. without even design trade, right? Uh-huh. I call her aesthetically trained by the media. Uh-huh. Yeah, she can actually kind of tell me her point of view exactly, like from a you know uh, uh, from a design perspective. And mm-hmm. first of all, she said the target audience are people like us. And mm-hmm. ma- smaller means kawaii, you know, and blah, blah, blah. She goes oh. into all these things like... But for us, it's like, hey, you know, the shelf, you put on a shelf, it looks better. Or, then no, ma, because it's, you know, you order, then they will bring it to you and you have to accept it mm-hmm. anyway, right? Yeah. So it's true. It's not like a, like what the what we call it. Oh, it's not a fast-moving consumer goods on the shelf of the supermarket <laughs> and things like that. I mean, of course, we know this, but it's interesting mm-hmm. to go into this conversation with a 13 year old mm. and you realize like uh, she can use the ipad pro better than me mm. you know so yeah it's for once you can't just use your skill sets to try to make money out of things mm. <laughs> right that's, that's because everybody else can probably do it better than you and the fact that what's out there is so easily learned mm. um, and this whole idea of design thinking to equip non-designers to think like designers mm. uh, you know I mean this is, is this is kind of like old topic but the argument about like that what's uh, what's in it for the designers next right mm. so it's a good thing it's a bad thing I'm not here to comment but uh, and I think as, as creative again what is the distinctive voice you can lend to this project or that project mm. determines the value people place uh, onto you. Mm. So that, I feel the value is in your point of view again. Okay. Yeah. So that is how we can continue to make money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> continue to have a future. So don't yeah. put it so bluntly. Continue okay. to have a future as a, as a, in the design industry, in the creative industry, is mm. to lend that unique voice that is born out of passion, experience, Intuition and, and so on and so forth. So I think I missed out a question before. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, in t- I'm just going to ask you now. So in 2014, you won the President Design Award Design of the Year, right? Did it have an impact on, in terms of gaining more recognition and like more jobs? Yeah. Is this question meant for Kelly to uh, fast forward? <laughs> to say, <laughs> hmm, now that I've won. <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I think it definitely helped with the um, general perception and with laymen, how mm-hmm. they view uh, the, the importance of what we do. So that one, no doubt, I'm really, really happy that mm-hmm. I won the award and it has positive impact. Uh, especially my folks, like I said, um, I've always said this, they finally understood what the hell I was doing. Um <laughs> And yeah, I mean, despite last time I, t- I told them, like, you know, my company got into this Tokyo Type Directors Club or, you know, I got into this award. Mm-hmm. The first question is, got money or not? No money for what? No, you have to pay a lot of money to enter. Ayo, so stupid. <laughs> right? So this yeah. is one award where uh, they're like, wow, 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 big deal. And then, I mean, you know, they can, they go around telling their neighbors and whoever. And, Suddenly, all your relatives all know that you've done something well. So that, to me, <laughs> is more priceless than someone yeah. comes to you and say, oh, you've won. Because uh, I, I, I just think it's kind of a pat on the back. But yeah, I don't see it directly equivalent to like, oh, because of that, you know, everybody comes to you. Because mm. they can immediately rush to Kelly. They can immediately rush to Decius or... Chris or Hanson or uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
it, it, it doesn't work that way. It's just like, mm. oh, okay, you're one of the guys who did well and a good pet on your shoulder, on your back. Yeah. 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 So, so that's um, how I feel it has benefited. Okay, I think Kelly, from, I think she, she, I think we spoke briefly about it. Yeah. She just, she did notice like more people applying for internships. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's generally a positive thing, right? It's like, yeah. why would you want to join someone who, who just got a what well, obvious reasons, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, would you want to join somebody else if you can join someone who do mm. did well, you know? Yeah. So, so congratulations to Kelly. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're moving to the, I think, last three questions, really. So, in the recent pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, how has N. Larry adapted? We really have to figure out how to work online. I mean, that's really no-brainer answer because everybody mm. had to do that. But um, in a way, we were trying to work like that already because mm-hmm. I remembered when a few years ago, I kind of uh, paid a lot of money, a lot of fuss over our so-called server thing. I mean, unlike IT, right, it's a kind of a given to have server and security and what have you but for design mm. studio it's probably unnecessary you just have a backup drive or throw it to iCloud or whatever right so we've been like making our creating our own servers uh, you know security doing this that then like multiple drives to back up and things like that yeah so as a result I've been kicking everybody's ass to say can you put things online can you kind of don't create a mess on the server can you do this? Can you do that? And everybody is kind of like, you know, being creative, you know, right brainers. Mm. This is like sweeping, like cleaning, washing your dishes is like a chore to them. But they did it. And I remember I had a big flare up one day because, um, yeah, one of my art directors just said like, ah, so much trouble. I haven't been updating. And then when some shit happens, you know, almost at the brink of losing all the data on his drive. Uh-huh. Yeah, because he just said that it's so time-consuming and all this thing. And I, I really, that was the moment I regretted because I was, I, for the first time, I slammed my hand on the table. I was very harsh. I scolded them. But, yeah, I, I could have calmly tell them, told them, but I, yeah, I just blew my top. But anyway, that was what I was trying to say. Mm. Uh, you got to be disciplined. You, you kind of like, wonder if you, one day you cannot leave your house, can you stay access? Mm-hmm. Can you still do that? Can you still do this? And a lot of times yeah. we do a lot of workshops, right? We, um, I always wonder about this wonderful 3M post-it notes, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, everything is so digital. You know, we're still using a lot of these post-it pads. Yeah, I, I've always thought about it before the pandemic. Can we mm-hmm. kind of do this online? So we dabble a little bit on it, but, well, you know, shit hasn't hit the roof ceiling right uh, sorry hits the fan mm. right so we yeah. just continue you know so when it happened we just did it my able um, colleagues they just kind of pivoted quickly and we did like uh, whatever we get our hands on oh we could actually shift things around like post pad right let's just get people to type mm-hmm. in let's do this let's do that um, then let's get the iphone let's get laptop and swing here swing there Mm. So it's kind of difficult because some place, some workshops need to be hybrid model. So you got multiple mm. cameras. Yeah. So so it was uh kind of a work in the pro in the progress already. I mean mm. in the process of doing it already. Um. Then when it hits, we just had to do it. But it was less efficient, I have to say, than mm. if we are doing it live. Like Cause, even yeah. going through designs with my team, right. Yeah. I remember we spent three hours on the Zoom trying to get something right. Like, like she sketched something, she showed me on the camera, and then I sketched something, take a picture, upload it into our chat group, and then... Mm. Then I remember when we finally could come back, right? So mm. we came back and we were working on a similar project, and I just... we I believe we took like 20 minutes, mm. and we resolved it. And the job was exactly the same as the three-hour <laughs> Zoom session one. Mm. Yes, different client, but we managed yeah. to resolve it within twenty minutes. So, but anyway, just mm-hmm. still gotta do it. Like right now, we're back yeah. to doing this again. But work wise, uh, client wise, we were thankfully we're not really affected. Uh, mm. So everything was. Uh, I mean, beginning yes, the two months or three months because everybody just panicked, uh, mm-hmm. or everyone is just kind of fighting other battles. 
so project was like, put to stop they put a stop to a lot of projects right yeah uh, so for us our projects are all long term so you can mm. imagine when you pause for three months we can't even meet yeah. the previous milestone and hence mm. we cannot build for work done uh-huh. uh, so you have to constantly pay the mortgage the team mm. uh, so how many months can you bleed so after, like, thankfully after the third month everything started again and we were okay yeah, so what's one advice you would give to fresh, fresh, sorry, let me restart the question. What's one advice you would give to fresh graduates looking to begin a career in graphic design? First of all, you need to rethink or uh, examine the word graphic design. Mm. What does it really mean to you? Mm. You see, because there's a space for everyone in every discipline within each one of these categories. Um, yeah. So, are you happy doing graphic design as what it is, what it means today? And if it is, who's still doing it well? Um, mm-hmm. And what kind of prospects can you get from it? You mm-hmm. see, because people are jumping into um, things because of its worth. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, oh, you got to know UI UX. Everybody, you know, sign up for UI UX. So graphic design sounds like oh my god, mm. what does it mean? You know, I'm doing yeah. logos, I'm doing graphic, and and how much can I charge for it, and how can a company thrive doing this? So I've always given examples like that through conversations with different people about like the the greatness of IDEO and the greatness of Pentagram. Mm. So first of all, you cannot compare the two companies, mm. right? And say like who's yeah. better. So you can't say Pentagram is. Uh, not as good as I do because they oh you know they're not so much into all this design thinking and user journey mapping or is they great at designers, mm. but that's that's their, that's what they're so good at right? They're yeah. kick ass designers. They're legendary. You know I would want to work for them. Yeah, they, I mean of course they're more than that, but in terms of image and perception wise, that's kind of how uh, I would see the difference between the two. You see. Mm. So, and then of course, we're not going to go into details about who's going to create more impact for the world and environment, business and so on and so forth. But uh, that's not for me to decide. But I'm just speaking out loud from if I'm a student being asked this question Mm. or thinking about this career. What is it that you're after? Mm. And and where do you want to look for a job that will Mm. propel you into somewhere else? Where do you want to go in the long term? Mm. Right? What's your... What do you think is your purpose? So if if you feel like I want to be, I want to join some place at like Pentagram equivalent where they do great designs that could impact lives, that could do all these things. Yeah, go ahead and that's what you, uh, you aspire and that's your purpose and go for it. But if you feel like I could, I, I need to do something that is beyond just graphic design, mm. then your career can go many ways, right? You, Know, research yeah. could be part of it yeah, you can go to anthropology yeah. I don't know I mean because all these things are related to design these days and I realized um, not everybody is very clear about what why they got into the design business mm-hmm. and where they want to go yeah. so I think that's the first step in trying to get clarity in the mind like ask your soul what's your what is it that you want and what do you want to become and who do you want to help? Besides yourself, of course. But but like what Kelly mentioned during one of the chat that uh, mm. of course there's a threat of Fiverr and all these things which if you if you compare yourself with Fiverr then there's a problem, you see. Because yeah. today is Fiverr, tomorrow is AI. Yeah. So even the AI will have that so called voice that I mentioned earlier on. Um mm. so but when that time comes, then what else? do you have up your sleeve you know mm. so again like, that's a that's something that i feel at heart for uh, if you ask me to give any advice at all mm. okay so uh, lastly do you have any advice for those who want to start their own studio or business find out how to run a business first mm. before you go into trying to run it for example mm. what are the uh, things required and these days you can find out everything online mm-hmm. as much as you can you know um, and I would say think about the business model first mm. of course 
Okay. I mean, that is after you have gotten your your purpose and your reason, your why, your you know all this out of the way. Then mm. you know, look at your business model. Mm. Don't be like me when oh you know you do good work, people will come to you. Well, that advice is still true because mm-hmm. we we still rely on hundred percent word of mouth. Of course, a lot a lot of people came to us because they found us online. But in a yeah. way, I think the majority is still word of mouth. But how do we scale the business? Mm. That is something that I feel um, will make or break your own studio because that is one problem of mine that I cannot resolve. You can scale the business but doesn't mean your profit will scale accordingly. Mm. Then something is not quite right. So back to the drawing board. Yeah. So don't start it because you want to. Yeah, I hate my boss. I want to start my own. I don't want people to tell me what to do because there's a lot of burden in starting your own studio. Yeah. So, but having said that, there's nothing wrong with just being like uh, like me when I started. I I just want to do something. You know, on my own, have my own voice. Mm. By all means, you know, just do that. But if it's um, uh, yeah. Anyway, I think enough said. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, I think we will end it off here. Thank you for. Yeah. No problem. Uh, now you know why I'm good at. Is. Yeah, now you know why I'm good at like just talking to people rather than interviews or Zoom or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Studio SML podcast. To hear the stories of more Singaporean architects and designers, head to www.studiosml.net, where you can find out more about Studio SML as well as all our podcast episodes.